0: Good morning, church. Everyone having a great day? Good. I love coming together and just singing songs of the, of, as Eric said, just singing songs of hope. Particularly, we need that today, don't we? Particularly this week, we need hope, and we have that hope. So, just a recap from last week. So, our sermon series for this month is called uh, The Worst Year Ever. And we talked last week about... Why we have days and weeks and months and years like 2020. And and 2020 is not a surprise when we look through the world's history. There have been worse times. We we were reminded, took us back to Genesis chapter 3, of the worst day in human history when sin entered man's DNA. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. See, Satan in his tactics, he is working overtime, isn't he? questioning the areas that God has given us. Remember, he, wanted, he challenged God's love for us. He challenged Eve and Adam and Eve, his love for them. He does that for us. Satan does that, challenges us. God's love for us. He challenges God's word. He challenges God's truth. See, God uses suffering and hardships to bring us low sometimes, to teach us that we need to be strong, not in our own strength. We try to fly by our own. We try to do things our own way. We fail, don't we? But a lot of times God teaches us humility, that we need to trust in him because he is the one who sustains us through the hard times of life. So this morning as we continue in this series, we're going to look and see how Satan at times uses events, uses struggle like sorrow and grief and death to question God's plan for your life, just like he did with Adam and Eve. Are you sure that you can't eat of that tree? See, he wants to twist your story. I mean, he wants you to go through things and ask you questions that push you to blame God. That God is the reason this happened. Or you, God doesn't love you. You can't trust his word. He wants to twist that in our lives. Our life is not going to be free from sorrow and sadness and death. Because of Genesis chapter 3, this is where we are. But we can trust in that God in those moments that he will see us through and that we can grow in him. I want you to consider ways that maybe this past year that Satan has allowed you to twist that story. He was getting you to question God in certain areas of your life. That was your self-centered in your thinking. I think we can all say at many times we have allowed Satan to do that what we're going through we focus on ourselves instead of focusing on God so this morning if you turn to your Bibles to the most depressing book in the Bible at least the first part of it is book of Job this morning but the end of the book of Job shows us God's love and his grace and his kindness to a man who was blameless and we don't understand why he went through what he did but we hopefully we can answer a little bit of that question this morning Being a pastor is such an honor and a joy i think pastor frank and pastor mike can say the same thing we get to see the spectrum of life we're saying the first service pastor mike probably has seen this more he came here many of you maybe were little tykes how many of you guys remember pastor mike when he came how you were probably small and little and you see he's seen you grow through the church he's seen you go through high school and find your spouse and get married and how many know pastor mike from that yes a lot of you you don't remember that pastor frank but we get to see life in a spectrum and 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 unfortunately as pastors we have to walk through many times death in our in our fold in our our flock here so people have asked me even as being a chaplain in, in our community pastor frank and i they ask this question how how can you handle such pain Suffering and deal with the aftermath, with all those things that you just see come up and dealing with death and sorrow. I heard a pastor once say it this way, and I believe it's profound in his answer. He says, it is the who that we know that we can do this. It is the who that we know. And all of us can answer that. When we have to walk individuals through struggle, through tragedy, through sorrow, it's the who that we know. It's, the, it's God. It's it's, it's our Savior. It's it's the sovereign King of the universe that gets us through. Is it it easy to go through? No, it's not. So for the Christian, when we encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ in the era of sorrow and, and tragedy, it's to encourage them and to lift them up and to point them back to their God. For those of us that help individuals in the area that, that people don't know Jesus through the area of struggle and tragedy, what are we doing? We are pointing them to Jesus, this Jesus who gives us hope during time. And we want them to come to know this Jesus so they can have that hope during their time of trial and sh- struggle and tragedy. If you have a bulletin, you will see an insert of, from the Bible Project. Um, it's a nice, nice little drawing. I'm a picture person. Um, I like reading books with pictures in it, always been that way. My book reports at school were probably toddler books. That's just how I roll. No, not really, it wouldn't let me do that. But this is a very great, it's a great overview of the book of Job. So take that, do with it what you want. Um, We're not going to go through every little thing in there, but just kind of gives us a a resource. So we're in the book of Job, so I want to give us some facts about the book of Job. It is not your normal rags to riches story. Actually, it's opposite. It's going from riches to rags. The author of the book is unknown. We don't know who wrote the book of Job. Some think it was Moses, some think it was Job himself. We don't know, so we leave it unknown. Individuals ask, okay, so when did Job happen? Well, believe it or not, the the, the book of Job is considered the oldest book in the Old Testament. If you would Google chronological readings of the Bible, and I Googled a couple of them, Job comes up to be the second book to read chronologically. And so theologians believe Job was the oldest book. And there's some reasons for that. First, we see that there's clues in Scripture because of what we read in Job chapter 1 in referencing his riches deals with his flock like they did with Abraham. If we see there in chapter 1, we see that he has 7,000 sheep, 300 camels, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys, and many servants. That's how wealth was related in this time, much just like it did with Abraham. It's believed that Job was probably around Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 12. Some other clues for us, there's no mention of the law of Moses in the book of Job. We see Job making sacrifices for his children in Job 1, and there's no regulations of sacrifices or offering. It was before that. There's no reference of the nation of Israel in Job. Because, of course, we know Israel was birthed in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. The cities and towns mentioned during the time of Job were the same cities and towns that were around during Abraham's time. I think one of the biggest clues that we have as far as where it puts us in Genesis chapter 11 is Job's age. If you go to Job 42, it tells us that after these things, after we're going to talk about the struggle and trial that he went through, after these things, it says that he lived another 142 years. Now, as we'll read, he had a whole new family. God blessed him again after taking, after his family was taken from him. Now, if we know anything about ages in Scripture, we can read, you know, Adam was 930 years age when he died. Who was the oldest man in the Bible? How old did he, how old was he? you guys are good A plus for you Bible scholars out there 969 years from that point because of sin ages decreased we get to Genesis chapter 11 and we find Terah you remember who Terah was Terah was Abraham's father and it says that he lived to 205 years of age so theologians and historians believe that Job was probably around 80, 90 years old when he was going through this particular storyline and so Job possibly could have lived anywhere from 220 to 250 years of age, which falls in line with the ages around Abraham's father Terah. Just kind of gives you a a, a point where we can kind of place the book of Job. Understand we said about genealogies. Genealogies are key to place individuals in God's redemptive plan of history of where they would have placed. And so we believe Job to be around Genesis chapter 11. So let's begin our story this morning. This is not a surprise to us. We know the book of Job, but I want us to pull some application out this morning. So I want us to picture it like this. We are sitting in a theater. We have a main stage. Job is the focus. The lights are on. We have act one this morning. Here it is. Lights on. Let's study about Job. Verse one, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and upright one who feared god and turned away from evil there were born to him seven sons and three daughters he had ten children he possessed seven thousand sheep three hundred thousand three thousand camels 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys and very many servants i want you to underline this phrase so that this man was the greatest of all people of the east this is who job was Verse four. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one of each one of his day, and they would invite, they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job says, "It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts." Thus Job did continually. Job was a righteous and blameless man. This is what the text says. He feared God and turned from evil. I want you to notice something else about Job's character here this morning. He loved and showed his passion for his God to his family. Look at verse 5. When the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children had sinned and cursed God in their hearts, thus Job did continually. Job wanted to make sure that he and his family did not offend or sin against a holy God. He was just not following a, a bunch of rules and regulations. Like I gotta do this, that, or the other thing. He was passionate about he did not want to have anything, him and his family that was against God. His life showed his love, his passion for his God. He wanted to make sure that there was nothing between he and his family and God. So I think the first life lesson we learned this morning for the book of Job is this number one, pursue your God wholeheartedly. Pursue your God wholeheartedly. See, Job was tuned in to God. I mean, God said it in his word. He was a blameless, righteous man. Notice here, he did, he sacrificed continually. That word there in the Hebrew, as a whole, in total, continually, daily, he did this. What does that look like for us today in the 21st century? How do we live or pursue God wholeheartedly? Well, one, we confess sin frequently, 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number two, I think if we're going to pursue God wholeheartedly, we're going to pray constantly, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And three, I think we in the 21st century... If we're going to follow after this pattern of Job. We are to live courageously. Philippians chapter three. I press towards the prize of the upward call of God. So our main stage, we have introduction to Job. You got who he is. We have seen his family. We see his wealth. We see his character. Now the lights go off on stage. Okay, Act two is going to begin, but there's a situation happening backstage, and we don't know what's going on. Job has no idea. What's happening backstage? For those that were part of our Christmas musicals for the past many years, that we've had, we used to have a living Christmas tree here and the choir would sing. We called it the Nuts in the Tree um, back in the day. We had dramas here, Easter Productions. How many remember those that were part of those? They were fun and we enjoyed them very much. I had a, a drama team, Patty Beavy, if you remember Patty, and, and Christine Bubb now, with Christine Platani when she was here. And they were my drama team. And I remember telling them, listen, ladies. I have to concentrate on the crazy people in the tree, i got to make sure they hit all the right notes and they sing. So you've got to make this drama thing connect, like I can't know, I don't want to know what's happening and you know what, I would stand back there and I would hear commotion in the back behind me and I'd hear commotion around here in the back, but it all worked out. I had no idea what was going on and that's what's happening here, Job here is living his life. But there's something happening backstage, and God gives us a peek of what's going on. Look at chapter 1, sorry, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Sons of God, they're referencing the angels. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro to the earth, and from walking up and down on it, And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? I want you to look at one thing here in this conversation. God never asked Satan, so what are you doing? Who is Satan? He's the misleader. He's the deceiver. God knows what he's doing. So he just got got right to the point. So have you considered Job to do your little thing to him, to make him curse me and him fall. Another thing we learn here in this passage, Satan does not live in hell, does he? Satan doesn't live in hell. He is going to and fro. 1 Peter chapter 5 gives us that indication as well. Revelation chapter 12, we talked about last week, that we believe as of right now he's standing before God as our accuser, accusing the saints day and night, and eventually someday he will be thrown out of that heaven. Satan has access to the throne room of God. Another thing we notice about this, that he says he's walking to and fro, he's watching us. is that scary? He's watching us. That word there, "considered," that God uses, is a military term in the Hebrew sense. It means to assign or appoint. Have you considered, have you thought about appointing your little scheme and looking at Job uh, and making him your man? Have you considered another thing we learn theologically about this these couple verses that satan is on a short leash you notice here that satan just can't do things whenever he wants god gives him the permission isn't that isn't that isn't that great that we know that god is in control of even satan and his day is coming his day is coming Let's continue reading. We're backstage here, Job and his family. They're, they're doing their thing. Verse 9, Now Satan answered the Lord and says, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him? Have you, haven't you protected him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold all that he has in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. There was scuffling going on backstage. Now we come to act two, lights back on. Job's there living his life, loving God. Now we're about to see the most devastating chain of events that one person has ever seen. Look at verses 13 through 22. Here's act 2, lights on. Now Job is experiencing what we're going to read. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Now, i want to stop there a minute. These, these events, I want us to put ourselves in Job's spot here. This happened, boom, 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 right one after the other. So put yourself in there. So let's hear verse 14. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The ox were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the the sabians fell upon them and took them and struck them down. The servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. And as before he could get that out, while he was yet speaking, another came and said, fire of god fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them and i alone have escaped to tell you as as soon as he said that it says while he was yet speaking there came another and said the chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the struck down the servants with the edge of the sword and i alone have escaped to tell you and as he was saying that another servant came And said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people, and they were dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. Verse 21. He said, naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. We can see in verse 15, Servant 1 came, donkeys taken, servants killed. Servant 2, fire from heaven came down, burned his servants and sheep. Servant 3, Chaldeans came, took the camels, killed the servants. And lastly, the fourth servant, the wind came, knocked the house down, killed all his kids. And we read that verse In verse 21, and we, you know, naked I come before my mother. He was devastated. I mean, if you would ask Job, he would gladly go through the struggles of 2020. Gladly. I don't think we understand the suffering that Job had here. Can you even imagine? I know sometimes as Pastor Frank and I are called out on a, on a call for the police department, you sit with an individual who you just had to tell the worst news to, and they sometimes they look at you and you say, can you wake me up? Am I, am I dreaming? And we've maybe been there. Job here is in a nightmare. In a nightmare. Our second application this morning is this. Trust God in the back stages of your life. Trust God in the backstages of your life. Just as I, as the music director here, would trust my drama team that they would figure things out and it would all work out. I didn't have to know what was going on. I trusted them. We have to trust God in the backstages of our lives, in the backstages of our country's life. Do you see what I mean? There's things that are happening that we can't see. They're the backstages. God has it under control. These things that happen in our life, they come out of the middle of nowhere. We were like Job. Things are going great. Things couldn't be better. Your job is amazing. You're, you're getting promotions. Things are happening. Your family, everything's clicking. Friendships. You're just on social media. You have a million friends. Everything's great. Your relationship with God is, you, you're walking with him. Everything is good, just like Job. Life is good, praise God, right? And we've been there in our lives. Maybe we're going through that. Great, we're walking with God. Things are happening. But think about it in a minute all at once you lose your children not just one even that's devastating enough you lose all of them you lose your job you lose your investments you lose your bank accounts that's really the picture of what happened to job his his wealth as was listed was gone how would you handle this how would we handle this well we would be devastated like anyone would and the last thing we would think about doing is worshiping if we're honest with each other so you see this was all satan trying to get job to curse god he was trying to get satan was trying to get job to twist his story to go against god to take your thought and your focus away from god to blame god for what he has done isn't that what people do today Maybe some of us know individuals. I know individuals personally who walked the walk and they, they were believers and they loved God and something happened in their life where a tragedy or something from suffering happened and Satan used that to twist the story to now where they walked away from God because now they view God differently. Why would God do this? Satan is good at what he does. See, there's a teaching out there that talks about this idea that good people don't suffer. This book puts that to death. It's the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is this idea that if you do everything right, you follow God and you're worshiping God and you're giving to God and you're doing, God's going to bless and bless and bless and bless and you won't suffer. And if you suffer, you lack some kind of faith in God. That's a Greek word that I call baloney. Because there is nowhere in Scripture that that can be found. The book of Job is very, very clear. What's the first chapter tell us? He was a blameless, upright man who walked away from evil. We can look at the life of Jesus. Jesus is a perfect example. His apostles gave up their fishing businesses to follow this carpenter. To only die, only two, Judas and John, did not die martyrs' death. They all died worshiping and serving this Jesus. Prosperity? Well, we know their reward is greater in heaven, but here on earth? This does away with the prosperity gospel. At this point, Job has got to be thinking, he's like, God, I'm worshiping you. God, what's going on? What did I do? We would ask the same thing. I love what C.S. Lewis says when he ask the question, why do the righteous suffer? His response was this, why not? They are the only ones who can handle it. Think about that a minute. Why do the righteous suffer? Well, why not? They're the ones that could handle it. And that should be true, shouldn't it? When we go through pain and struggles in our life like Job, and we question why, and we will. When our emotion and our mindset... Catch up with our theology. Okay? We know here who God is. We know, but I know emotions and things and through struggle and trial, when it catches up to what we truly believe and we know what is true about our God, God will care for us. He will take care of us. He will walk us through those times as we trust in Him, as we see here in the book of Job. He is working in the backstages of our life more than you can even imagine. So now, Act Two ends job is there on the ground worshiping god everything is lost lights go out stage is black and guess what's happening backstage it's not over there's still movement happening backstage look at chapter 2 verse 1 Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And there is none like him on earth, and blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. I literally I had to stop when I was studying and saying, Am I at chapter one or am I at chapter two? It's verbatim, it's deja vu all over. But I love there's some I think there's some irony here in this 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 particular conversation. God knows what's going on. He's sovereign. He's, he's, um, he's omniscient. He knows everything. He just had this conversation with Satan. and He repeats it to say, Satan failed getting at Job. Don't you think it's funny? God's saying, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Don't you find that funny? That's hilarious. Because Satan failed. He failed. But there's one phrase that God adds to this conversation, verse, end of verse 3. He still holds fast his integrity. Although you incited me against him, you to destroy him without reason. So here's Satan's response. Then Satan answers the Lord and says, skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out even your hand or touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. See, that phrase skin for skin is a proverbial saying, and it's it's, it's dealing with bartering and trading. So what Satan is insinuating here about Job is he is willing. His life wasn't affected. I mean, his his own life, his own body wasn't affected. He was inciting that Job was selfish. Yeah, I can lose all that. I'm fine. I can still worship God. But if you do anything to Job, his plans, his his worship will change. What did God say? God says, okay, don't kill him, but you do what you want to do. Do what you have to do. You think nothing worse can happen. But we're at Act 3, the lights come on stage, and we find Job on the ground, just devastated. Look at verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with lo some sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of po- broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in ashes. <laughs> you get the picture here? And then look at verse 9. And then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. So Satan was even trying to use his wife for him to twist the story of who his God was. I love Joe's response. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, he again, underline this, circle this. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. When you think things can't get worse, wow. Satan even gets family to question God. He tried to get her to twist the story. One thing I don't I want you to understand here about Job. And this is where we're going to leave today with application that we look, we look at Job as a man we look up to and pattern ourselves after and we go through sorrow and struggle and suffering. Chapter 1, verse 22, when he lost his family, his wealth, his living, what did he do? He worshiped. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It says, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Chapter 2, verse 10, you take his health boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet what's it say there and all this job did not sin with his lips i want us to look at something else here i want you to turn to job chapter 19 the verse will be on the screen but i want us to see something here we can see job's hope here chapter 19 verses 25 and 27 Job was putting his hope in life after death. Here it is, folks. This is the gospel. This is the gospel in the oldest book of the Old Testament. See, growing up, you always categorize you know, the Bible. Okay, this is the Old Testament. Jesus is in the Old Testament. He's in the New Testament. How many of you always thought that? Growing up, yes, we you know there's pictures, but Old Testament is for Old, New Testament for New. Look at this here is the gospel for I know that my redeemer lives look at these words and at the last he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been thus destroyed I mean Job's here he's thinking he's going to die yet in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another Job is saying my redeemer lives and when I die and Job thought he was going to He had the confidence that he was going to see him. Don't we have the same confidence? Okay, one person says that's good. We have the confidence as Job had, no matter what happens. But here is the gospel in Job. He has, there's a future for him. Not only do we need to pursue God wholeheartedly. Church, not only do we need to understand that we need to trust God in the back stages of our life. But as we see Job here, we need to worship God in the unknown. We need to worship God in the unknown. When life turns upside down, and for many of us, maybe we've had those days in our life. When things are happening backstage that you cannot understand, we need to say the words of Job, blessed be the name of the Lord. We are all familiar with this story. Horatio Spafford is a, the well-known hymn writer of this hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. If I was asked you to raise your hands, everyone would know this song. Horatio Spafford was a Christian businessman, worked in Chicago. In 1871, after the loss of his son through sickness and the loss of his business in the Chicago fire, he and his family, his wife and two girls, wanted to take a trip to Europe for some respite. So he boarded up the boat. He stayed back to tie up some loose ends in his business, sent his wife and his two daughters across the Atlantic Ocean. Three days later, he received a cable saying, Saved alone by his wife. His wife sent the cable. Their boat collided with another vessel. His two daughters drowned in the Atlantic Ocean. He quickly got what he needed to get, crossed over in a boat. He came across the area where they say this is where the collision happens. And here are the words that were penned by Horatius Spafford. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Church, remember, suffering does not surprise God. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. He will comfort you in those moments. He will be that ever-present peace. Just as Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, don't be anxious about anything. He will give you the peace that passes all understanding. Give him your pain. Give him your frustration. Give him your doubt. As we see chapter 3 through 37, Job, man, he was struggling. He will give you the peace. Suffering is not easy. And all of us have been there. We understand that. However, with the attitude that Job had here, look at chapter 13, verse 15. He said this, Though he slay me, I will hope in him though he slay me i will hope in him i didn't put in the second part of that verse and i i did that for a reason this is what we know this is what the famous words of job here as he said these words but there's a semicolon and the, the, the second part of that verse 15 says yet i will argue my ways to his face we would do the same and we see the book of Job. That's what God, what, I don't understand. You know, what's, what's happening here? When things happen in our lives, don't we argue, God? In church, it's okay. God made us, He created us, He knows our heart, He knows our thought. We can hash that, we can have conversations with God during those tough times. Well, the rest of the book of Job is, 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 it continues in Act 3, Job 3 through 37. I, I like the title, it's Job's Mental Torture. For his three friends, had conversations. It was in three cycles. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They started out great. When you read Job chapter 2, they sat there for seven days silent. They just wept and, and mourned with Job. They should have probably kept that going. But they wanted to give their two cents of why Job was going through this suffering. Eliphaz came with the idea. His narrative was this. Truly, you are not a godly man because this has happened to you. Well, we know that's false because of Job chapter 1. Well, his other buddy, Bildad, he says, the reason why you're going through this is because your kids were sinners and they sinned. Well, we know because of the sacrifice of Job's heart, he was making sacrifices for them in Job chapter 1. Zophar, not bad advice, but again, all these individuals, there was a right time and right place. This was not it. Zophar says, listen, repent, change your thinking, and you'll have nothing to fear. Then in Job chapter 32, okay, so the three cycles of conversation. That's, that's what the book of Job is, and Job's just getting blasted by his friends. Then Elihu shows up in Job 32. Now, some theologians believe Elihu to be this pompous, arrogant young man who just wanted to jump in the conversation and give his two cents. Actually, when you read Elihu, he said a lot of great things. And actually, I, I personally believe that, of course, Job 32, 8 is God jumps into the scene. For, for seven chapters, Elihu was pounding on Job. But chapter 37 is a title on, on, your cha- on, on, your, on the top of your, your, your chapter and it says this. Let me just get that here. It says, Elihu proclaims God's majesty. I believe God used Elihu to point Job back to God. So we see chapter 38 and 42. It's God's blessing. God steps out of the backstage and straightens everything out. He comes to Job in a storm in Job 38. Job got the point after the conversation. Remember Job 38 through 40? Job, brace yourself. Where were you when I did this, 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 and this? And he addresses the other guys who were, his buddies who were talking. Look at chapter 38, verse 2. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? <laughs> God says, listen, these guys don't know what they're talking about. Okay? You don't know what he's talking about. The absolute craziness of creation, us as humanity, questioning the creator. Skip Isaac says it this way, suffering in the hands of an all-powerful and absolute loving God can be a wonderful tool for us, giving perspective to our grief and hard times. God bless Job, chapter 42. And the Lord... Restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. In verse, verse 10, And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And go down to verse 12, and there it is. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job, Job, Job more than the beginning. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. And he had, uh, he had 10 more kids. At like 100 years old. And look what he says about his daughters. Look at verse 15, and three daughters. Okay, guys, single guys, these were the girls you would ask to the prom. And in all the land, there was no woman so beautiful as Job's daughters. See how God blessed him. And it says there in verse 16, And after this, Job lived 140 years, and he saw his sons and his sons' sons, four generations. And Job died an old man full of his days. You see, God is always making something good come out of our suffering. In those times, we can't see the good. He's in the backstages work, working. That is faith. That is our faith in God. We can't see what has happened, but we trust him. So, church, we pursue God wholeheartedly, as Job did. We see that we need to trust God in the backstages of our life. And in those times of the unknown, in those times of struggle, we need to worship God in the unknown. Don't let Satan twist your story of who God has you to be in your life. Don't let him mess with your mind and say, no, God doesn't love you. Don't trust God because that is his ploy to us. He wants us to hate God. Remember, God is always working his will to accomplish his plan for his purpose, which ultimately is for our good, even in the unknown backstages of our life. I love what Paul told the Christians in Rome Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And God knows what our good is. God knows what our good is. So I'd like to close this morning in just a few moments that we have together. So what now? Where are we as a people, as a country, there's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of struggle, there's a lot of things that are going on in our minds with what is happening around us. And I stumbled across a, a Facebook post from a local pastor, Pastor Rich Myers uh, from New Life. He wrote this and I want to read it this morning because it really puts things in perspective for us as Christians. We just talk about suffering. We don't know what God's going to do with our country. We don't know what's going to happen. But we know God is faithful. God is working in the backstages of it. But I want you I want to read this. I think it, it will help us put us back on focus on our journey. He writes, Congress has certified Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. Whether you voted for him or not, he is not our enemy. And he quotes Ephesians 6, 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. He continues, he could not have been placed there without God's confirmation.
1: Yes.
0: You may want to argue that point claiming the election was stolen, and it may have been, but if we truly believe we are one nation under God, we must also believe that God knows what He is doing when it comes to our country and its elections. Again, these are my words. The word, as you now, the, the, the word for you now, as Christians, though all this is simple, it comes from Ephesians 6:13: "Wherefore take on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, and having all done to stand." So we can relax, not allow fear, or anger, or bitterness to overwhelm us. 2 Corinthians 2.11, he says says this, For we are not ignorant of this, our enemy's devices. And we're not. We shouldn't be. We know what our enemy wants to do. We are to stand in faith that God is still covering our nation. He quotes Matthew 6.34, Take therefore no thought about tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient is the, day of the, is the evil thereof. He reminds us, God has not given up his throne or has forsaken us as children. Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And we know what our future is, church, don't we? You must get about the business we've been called to do from the very beginning and as pastors this is what we've been talking about as a church as believers we are still called to preach the gospel of jesus christ and let him our heavenly father handle the rest in regards to our new president the plan is simple as well he says first timothy chapter 2 1 and 2 says this i exhort therefore that first of all supplications prayers intercessions and thanks and and giving thanks be made for all men for kings, for all that have an authority that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all goodness and honesty, let's pray and see what God will do. That was hard for me to read when I read that this week. But he's spot on. God is working in the backstages of our country. And we just have to trust him because we know. We know our end game. We know what's coming next. Eric and I were talking about this morning before church. Man, when think the rapture's going to come. I hope so. That would be awesome. But we know what it is. Let's just trust God as we move ahead. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for all that you've done. Lord, allow us as a, as a church to just come together and realize there's a bigger picture here that you are working. And we have in Scripture of what it is, what's next. But... Lord, we know we're going to be with you. and So allow us, Father, to just trust these words, the words that you have written in your word. We go through things like this. We need to put our faith and trust in you. God, direct us. We ask this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Stand with us. Uh, Eric's going to lead the worship band in a song called Yes, I Will. Think about the words of this song, and then we'll be dismissed. Have a great week.
1: You're a thing I've seen God and never fail When my Again. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy. afternoon.